Well, good morning. Thanks for being here with us. For those of you that have been here with us, we began a new series here a couple weeks ago, a series in the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of John is a story of a man uh, named John who was one of Jesus' apostles, walked with Jesus, lived with Jesus, witnessed his crucifixion and his resurrection, and it set his life on a whole new trajectory. And so we listened to the story of a man named John. Who, who experienced Jesus. And uh, in it, uh, we begin to find remarkable things about the ways Jesus lived and the ways uh, that Jesus impacts people around him, the ways his followers live like John did. And so today we continue a story. The first week Sarah spoke, and she spoke on the subject of uh, John 1.1. It says, in the beginning was a word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And it, it links Jesus to this creation story back in Genesis 1, where uh, where, where the word of God creates, where Jesus participates in the creation of the world. It's a beautiful text. And then last week, when I spoke, we talked about uh, identity. We talked about, uh, first of all, the identity of Jesus, and that's central to the Gospel of John. Uh, he is going to, throughout his Gospel, be making clear identity um, and, and, and what identity looks like. Secondly, uh, uh, he talks about our identity. So who are we? And he tells a story of a man named John the Baptist, a different John here in the text, who uh, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and says, look, it's, it's the Messiah. This is him, the Savior that we've been waiting for. And John, when he's asked, has denied, no, I'm not anyone's Savior, but there is a Savior, and my job is to point to him. So last week, we spoke about identity. You know, identity is uh, most evident in the ways we live life, in, in the ways that we engage the world around us. Sure, identity has to do with beliefs, but beliefs are usually born of a deep sense of who we are. Uh, our actions are born out of a deep sense of who we are. And this morning, we get to celebrate with a family. Uh, a family here in our church. Uh, Chris and Aaron, will you guys come up here? We're going we're gonna to pray with them. Um, so, was it two or three weeks ago that Aaron and Anita came up here? And uh, we said Aaron and Anita are adopting a child from China, their first. What a beautiful experience. Aaron and Anita are in China right now. And uh, in a beautiful turn of events, uh, Chris and Aaron Bush are headed to China also for an adoption. This is their second adoption from China. And uh, they're going to be headed over on Thursday, is that correct? And uh, meeting um, their new baby boy, is that, is that also correct? Ah, we are so excited for you guys, and um, we talk here about identity. How is Jesus shaping our lives? Uh, you know, Sarah mentioned belong, believe, become, this idea that we create a space of belonging first. Uh, in, that, in that place, we invite people to consider who Jesus is, to believe in him, and then this remarkable transformation begins to take place in our lives, and it looks different in each of our lives, but this to me is a beautiful demonstration of identity formed in Christ that cares deeply for the most marginalized people of the world, these children, uh, in China. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the way you're allowing Jesus to work through you in that. Let's pray for them. Father God, we thank you for Chris and Aaron. We thank you, Father, uh, for the blessings that you've given in their lives, for opportunity, and, uh, and for hope in Jesus. And I thank you, Father, for the ways those are being poured out into the lives of others. We thank you for their decision uh, to adopt. We thank you for uh, the opportunity on Thursday to head to China. We pray for safe travels, um, just a blessed visit. Also be 
with Aaron and Anita as they are there in the same process. Father, we thank you for hope in Jesus and uh, pray that you will continue to guide us as we walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. You are a beautiful example of what it looks to be, looks like to be transformed. To, to realize an identity that goes beyond the things that I want or the career that I'm working in, uh, Jesus invites us to a life that looks different, and, and that's, a, that's a big one. But I would imagine that in each of our lives, we could identify ways that Jesus is teaching me to be more hopeful, to be more patient, to be more kind, engaging differently with the people around us. You see, identity matters deeply. So today in our text, we're going to continue on where we were. We'll be in John 1.35. And I've maybe done a poor job uh, of laying out how I'm going to do this simply because I have like three little texts from this that seemingly don't connect. I believe they do connect, and we'll get to that in the end. But we're going to walk through a lot of texts, uh, a, a number of little stories here in the Gospel of John in our attempt to be true to his narrative, to be true to his witness, his testimony. This is who Jesus is. These are the things that we experience. So we're walking through three days of Jesus' life. Last week when we were talking about identity, Jesus had come to John to be baptized. And John's like, whoa, no, I'm not worthy of baptizing you. And uh, Jesus says, no, this is, this is right. And so on day one in Jesus' story of his ministry, uh, he is baptized by John the Baptist. Day two be- begins in John 1.35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They, asked, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two that had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. All right, so our first text uh, that we dive into here today continues the story. Jesus has been baptized by John. The next day, he comes back to the area. Again, John identifies this is the Messiah, right? And, and did you see what happened? Two of his followers peeled off to follow Jesus. And I've been con- considering this text for a few weeks now, and I have been deeply struck by the open-handed and generous nature with which John realizes his ministry and his work, right? Wouldn't it have been easy to cling to his closest followers? And yet he said from the beginning last week when he looked at his testimony, uh, we, we saw him saying, no, I'm not the Messiah. It's my job to point to the Messiah. And so now when it's all on the line, when he's about to start losing followers, he continues in that posture, realizing that his call, his purpose in life is to invite people to follow not him, but to follow Jesus. I think this is beautiful and remarkable. Now, as, as a church, we have um, dreamed 
end of uh, learning to operate in these sorts of ways. You know, in church, uh, we want to lead in open-handed and generous ways that are a benefit to the kingdom of God and benefit to the world around us, not simply about promoting our own agenda or building the things that we're doing, not manipulative in the ways we operate, but instead inviting people to know Jesus, like John, pointing to Jesus, inviting people to be transformed by Jesus, and then in an open-handed manner, um, releasing sending, encouraging people to follow precisely the calling that Jesus is putting on their lives. That, to me, sounds like a beautiful mode of operation for the people of Jesus. Uh, So the things that we do uh, are are designed not only for our own progress and gains, but especially for the purposes of Jesus. I got a video in the middle of this week from Matt Moult, uh, another um, lead pastor here in the Tri-Cities, a church plant eight or 10 years old now. And um, he sent me this video uh, where during church last Sunday, they chose to pray. They're, they're in the season of praying for the churches of the Tri-Cities. And it's this beautiful gesture, like, like what I'm describing, this gesture that points out to other people and other things. And uh, they sent this video as they prayed over you guys, you know, this church by name, as they prayed that God would continue to work powerfully. And let me say that is the posture of John the Baptist. That is the posture that the church ought to take, that we are interested in the kings of the things of Jesus, and we are inviting people to know him and pursue him in their unique and beautiful ways. So as, as a church, uh, we personally, the Vine Church, dream of being um, a church-planting church, like equipping and sending, right? Sending people into missions, whether that's overseas or another church plant in the Tri-Cities, we dream of being a people that point people towards Jesus and openly invite them to follow his calling in their lives. I love the example of John, and when it comes down to it, he's going to lose a few of his followers, but they've gone to the perfect place that is in pursuit of following Jesus. So the story continues in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can any good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And I'm going to pause there for just a minute because this is an interesting one. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been a part of conversations uh, that kind of revolve around community shaming. I have. Um, So I I happen to love the Tri-Cities. I like living here. I like raising children here. I think it's great. However, uh, I was on the opposite side of that uh, as I was headed off to college. I was like, I would never go back there. Uh, Sometimes uh, in church planting circles at conferences or on conference calls and things like that, uh, we get on and we introduce ourselves, and there's often a snide remark that's not appropriate to repeat, kind of a play on words about the Uh, Tri-Cities. People like to kind of pick on our neighborhood and community. And that's exactly what's happening here in um, in, in this story. Uh, the Messiah has come, and he's from Nazareth. And they're like, what armpit city? You know, like, what little city did Jesus come from? That doesn't make any sense. This is not the place. And Philip responds with the perfect thing. 
This is, this is really to the point of where we're going to go today. Philip says, come and see. He doesn't argue, he doesn't fight the points about what's maybe good about Nazareth or the prophecies that said he'd come from a rural, rural region or anything like that. Instead, Philip says, why don't you just come and see for yourself? This is the beginning of a conversation on discipleship. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, uh, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Hear the sarcasm in his voice? He says, you will see greater things than that. Then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, so here's, here's, here's what's happening in our text. Uh, Jesus goes out and he says, come and follow me. And, and Philip's friends, uh, Nathaniel and people, they're like, wait, this couldn't be the real thing. And again, the answer is, why don't you just come follow and find out for yourself? It's not long before Nathaniel becomes convinced. So today I want to talk a little bit about this idea of discipleship. It's central to the way we understand Jesus' role as a rabbi. It's central also, I believe, to our conversations of how we engage in Christian life today. So let's talk for a minute about this idea of discipleship. So it begins with a rabbi. And to be a rabbi in Israelite culture is the highest calling and potential that there is. Um, to become a rabbi, you don't just get to put in an application uh, there's not a quick or simple degree plan to get to that stage in Israelite culture. Instead, at a very young age, a child would begin studying the uh, our, what we uh, read as our Old Testament scripture. It'd begin with the Law of Moses, and if the first five books of the Bible, you can look at how big that is if you're holding a Bible in front of you, uh, to any student that was able to memorize all of the text of those five books of the Bible, uh, they would be invited to continue in their schooling. <clears throat> it only got harder from here. Uh, only the best of the best would then go on to study further. And those that did go on to study further would commit to memory all of Israelites' scripture. Okay, And this would happen by the age of maybe 16 or 18 years old. So by 16 or 18 years old, they would have committed to memory all um, all of the scripture, all of the Old Testament scripture that they had. And, uh, and at that time, they could apply to a rabbi to say, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you, a disciple, a follower. Uh, they'd, they'd apply to a rabbi. And the very best of the best that had made it that far would be accepted by a rabbi to be a disciple. Okay? And at that point, from the age of 16 or 18 years on, old, Till they're 30 years old, their sole purpose in life is to follow their rabbi, is to learn the things that he knows and to do the things that he does. Their aspiration in life is to know and to be like their rabbi. Now, at 30 years old, uh, a disciple could step out and 
take on the role of a rabbi, at which time that disciple would have um, uh, accumulated his uh, yoke of teachings. Jesus uses that term. It's his grouping of teachings. So the rabbi would have their set teachings. This is, this is where I stand. This is uh, what it looks like to follow me. And at 30 years old, they could begin calling then their own disciples to come and follow them. And there was this expression in the first century, century, it was a statement of blessing. Like often when we close out, I'll say, hey, have a blessed week, right? It's just a statement of blessing and encouragement for what is to come, uh, a kind gesture in words. And in the first century, uh, occasionally, um, people would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi as a statement of blessing. Like the statement of blessing is that you would be just following in his footsteps down a dusty road towards the next town, learning from your rabbi, walking in uh, in step behind your rabbi was a statement of blessing in the first century. Now today, uh, we ask a question of kind of what does discipleship look like today? And I'm going to skip the video, Craig. Uh, the graphics are kind of corny. The message is good. I'm going to go to the central idea of it. And it is that sometimes we put so much effort into uh, our, our church buildings, our Sunday gatherings, our one or one and a half hours a week that we miss some of the greater ideas in Christendom, which is life lived together, sitting around a table and eating together, conversations that lead us deeper into this journey of following Jesus, conversations of discipleship often are left off the table. But we dream of being a people that equip and send, uh, a people um, leading in open-handed ways, in Christ-centered ways, just like John has has demonstrated in this text. So um, Jesus uh, told, told Nathaniel in this text as we, as we were finishing up, in in verse 51, he says, you will see greater things. This is the dream of the journey of discipleship. Not that any one of us would follow anyone else in this room, but in following Jesus, we would see the great things that he is accomplishing in this world around us. Ultimately, we are disciples of Jesus, and we walk together to sharpen each other and encourage each other on that journey. Ultimately, it is our dream that we may be covered in the dust of our rabbi. That in our day-to-day walks, we would know what it is to walk in step with Jesus, to know the things he knows, and to do the things that he did. Okay, so um, what follows is a fascinating little tale, one that some of us have heard, a story about an experience Jesus has at a a wedding ceremony. So Jesus has just called his followers. He said, come follow me. Uh, And naturally, the next step he's going to want to take is to perform some sort of big miraculous sign that proves who he is, right? People are starting to question, who is this Jesus? What is he doing? He's got his disciples following. Naturally, it's time to put your best foot forward. So if I were strategizing the next step for Jesus, like we would strategize the next steps in church planting or something like that, uh, we we would think that Jesus would go into Jerusalem Jerusalem, like the hub of Israelite uh, community, and he'd go either to the marketplace or to the temple, just a primary place there in Jerusalem, and he'd gather a crowd around him, and his first miracle would be this powerful demonstration that God has come to earth, that I am the Savior, that I am going to turn all things in a new direction. Revelation 21, I I am making all things new. And so Jesus would have demonstrated that to a vast crowd 
of people. And yet John records his first miracle in very humble and maybe even awkward terms. Let's dive in. Uh, John chapter 2, he says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in, in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do do whatever he tells you. Did you hear that dismissal? Like she totally dismisses his complaint. She's like, she she turns to someone else and just follow him. He's gonna take care of this, you know, even though he doesn't want to. I love that interaction. Um in verse 6, uh, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he came to the bridegroom. He called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out their choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana in Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. This is the text. This is the narrative, and this is what we get to work with. Now, I'm sure in this room we have differing perspectives on wine and would want to treat this uh, passage in different ways. Uh, I'm not going to worry too much about that. You're adult people, and you can make your own decisions and, uh, and, and figure out exactly how you want to perceive that portion of the story. What is fascinating to me about this story is Jesus' first recorded miracle is one of a gentle and humble nature. It is simple in its essence, and most importantly, it's an act of hospitality. It's nothing that brings a lot of glory to himself. It's nothing revolutionary. In fact, as I, as I consider this first miracle, um, part of me thinks, you know, here in this region, here in Galilee, I'm quite confident there was much larger issues and challenges that the people of this community were facing than whether or not this uh, wedding party had run out of wine, right? There are bigger issues going on in this community and neighborhood. Yet what fascinates me about this text is Jesus' willingness to engage in the current situation, in this time and this place, and the reality of this moment, and the people engage, and the people involved in this moment, Jesus chooses to engage. I love the simple way of Jesus, the humble, hospitable way of Jesus. And in fact, as we look back over this broader text that we've that we've looked at today, that we've covered today, there is this common theme. Jesus chooses a humble, simple, and relational approach to the things that he will do. 
right? As he calls his disciples, he's not going to the schools or to the synagogues or the temple. He's not going to these places and, and asking students, the best students, to turn in applications. Instead, Jesus calls fishermen and tax collectors hated by their own people, right? He calls ordinary people and he says, I want you to follow me. He says, it's not because of your expertise. It's not because of your your scholastic ability. It's not because you're the best fisherman. No. He says, just come and follow me. And remember what Philip said earlier to those that were doubting? They're like, why don't you just come and see, right? This is the approach of Jesus. It's not flashy. It's not about the elites. It's about the everyday people. And he says, will you come? Just follow me. Just watch for a while. See what you see. And I wonder in our lives uh, what that story and journey looks like. You know, one of the reasons we choose belonging first as a church is because we want to create space that we can just walk together and explore together, right? I think it's remarkable the way Jesus reveals himself if we'll simply watch, if we'll just simply consider. So the common thread in our text today is this. Uh, Jesus chose simple and relational ways of doing ministry. And so we ask ourselves, so what does this mean for us? How does this apply in my life? What does this lead me towards in the week to come? Uh, Two things come to mind for me. Uh, First of all, inviting people on the journey alongside us. And that'll look different in each of our lives. So Jesus chose to invite people, come and follow, come and participate, come and see the things happening. And I think there's an important principle in there for us to consider, what does it look like just to invite people along on the journey with us? For, for different ones of us, that might, that might mean, hey, I need to start a Bible study up at, at, my, uh, at my workplace, right? That, that would be a big one, but that's not going to be the mode that all of us take as we consider, what does it look like to invite people to explore Jesus with me, to, to walk alongside in this journey that I'm on. For many of us, it might look like reading a short devotional at the breakfast table that just kind of focuses our children or our family on something of God in the day to come, right? It might mean a a prayer time uh, daily or, or, or some time scheduled in our week where we sit down with our wife and, uh, or, or our husband and we just spend some time talking with God and reflecting, right? It's relational and it's conversational ways in which we are invited to consider this journey of following Jesus in life. What does discipleship look like in our lives? Jesus chose to invite people alongside him while he grew, Right? So as we study and as we grow and as we, as we live life in the ways of Jesus, uh, I think one thing we see in the example today is that we invite people on the journey with us. Secondly, um, Jesus engaged the people and the situations at hand. Right Now, I want to have big vision and big goals. There is reform that needs to take place in this world, in our nation, in Washington, and in the Tri-Cities. There is major reform that needs to take place. But have you ever found yourself so blinded by, um, by the news or the uh, big global issues that they overwhelm us to the extent that we lose the ability to see people and things around us on a daily basis? I want to encourage this. Jesus had big vision and big plans. Do not lose that. Continue to fight for those causes. Continue to care deeply about these big things. But Jesus chose also to see the moments in which he was engaged. 
Jesus chose also to see the faces of people, their real needs in any given moment, as trivial or as strange as that story might seem to any of us. Jesus knew that this mattered in this moment to these people, and he chose to engage. So this week I'd, I'd, have, I'd encourage us to consider two things. Uh, because of Jesus' simple and relational way of ministry, uh, let's invite people on the journey with us. Let's live relationally like Jesus did. And secondly, let's engage the things that God places before us in the week to come. So um, the humble and simple way of Jesus. Uh, Sarah and I own a rental that uh, we lived in for many years together when we were first married, and, and we kept that and have been renting it out. And we have good relationships with that neighborhood still. We keep up with a number of the families. And, um, and uh, there's a couple that are harder to get along with than others in that neighborhood. And the, there's, one, uh, there's one family in that neighborhood that a lot of the year has a sign in their front yard that says, Jesus Strong. Those are the two words, Jesus strong. And I don't know exactly what that means to them or what that is, um, but I'm always struck by it uh, as uh, there's strength in Jesus. We, we gain strength. But um, uh, what I don't fully understand is um, where the Jesus humble and the Jesus suffering and the Jesus relational uh, comes into play because this is what I experienced. Um, uh, my my uh, my very strong neighbor uh, sent us a letter from the lawyer saying that our tree in the front yard has become a nuisance, uh, which is crazy to me. There's very few neighborhoods with developed trees, and apparently when the wind blows leaves into the street, uh, this can be a major issue. And so I got this threatening letter from a lawyer from my Jesus strong friend across the street. And what was crazy to me was there was never a conversation in between, you know, them bagging up a few bags of leaves and me getting a letter from the lawyer. So Sarah and I and Foss went over there a couple weeks ago and we knocked on the door and we said, I'm sorry for the inconvenience and we want to rake those leaves up and we want you to know we care deeply for this neighborhood and, and you guys. We ended up having this really friendly conversation and I use that to illustrate the humble and simple way of Jesus that takes relationships more seriously than leaves, that chooses to turn water into wine, even though it's not the major concern of this community, but it mattered very deeply to the people there in that moment and to the host who was losing face. Jesus chose relational, simple, humble ways of living and engaging in the world around him, and I want to encourage us to those sorts of ways. So today we acknowledge Jesus as humble and simple, and may we live in these humble, relational ways as well. Let's pray about that. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the story and a text that uh, goes a number of different directions and is challenging. Father, will you just focus our eyes, though? on the ways Jesus was walking in the first day, three days of his ministry. Uh, Father, the way he operated simply and humbly. Father, the ways that he cared about concerns and people around him. The ways that he invited people to follow and to know more. And Father, may we know more of what it is to follow Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You are invited to be a follower of Jesus. 
to be his disciple. You are invited to follow in, in, in the footsteps of Jesus. And so I'll end this week with this. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Blessings. Have a great week.